0: I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to please open it to the Old Testament prophet Amos, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to please use one of the Bibles that are located in the back of the chairs near where you are seated. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you as a gift from Trinity to have as your own. As you're turning to Amos 4... Just to give you an update on our week, it's been a, a good week. Emma is still, by God's grace, just a little bit stronger, uh, it seems like, each, each week. This week, one of the biggest changes we saw is that in therapy, which, by the way, God has opened up doors that we're going to be able to receive even more physical therapy, which is very good. Uh, she was seated on the edge of the bed. It uh, takes two people. We set her on the edge of the bed. One's behind her. Supporting her as she's getting strong in her core and she's able to support herself some but not all the time so somebody's there to kind of spot her and the therapist is in front of her and this day Emma had a ball and they, we placed our hands on the ball and the therapist said now Emma, I want you to push the ball toward me and Emma did she pushed and the therapist, what was so funny the therapist went did you see that? them then she said now Emma I want you to pull the ball back and then Emma did and it was just like whoa hallelujah so still seeing things like that occurring and just let that be an encouragement it's been a it's a process we believe the Lord is working we know he is it's more than believe we know it is the Lord at work and we just keep trusting him and pressing on Amos chapter 4 verses 16 through 13 As I mentioned last week, preaching the prophets is difficult because part of their preaching is designed to confront and to comfort. And this is one of those passages where it is is very confrontational. It was to the people who first heard Amos preach. And it is to us today who hear his voice because of the Spirit of God. Remember as he's speaking, he's speaking to Israel. These are not words given to the non-believers. These are words given to believers. So let's hear the word of the Lord. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight. And mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. Because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold... He who forms the mountains and creates the wind, and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Will you bow with me in prayer? Oh Lord, give us ears to hear you this morning. Soften our hearts, O God, so that we are quick to run to you. Give us the wisdom to learn. To learn from these these Old Testament people. To learn from the promise of Amos. Because, Lord, we confess that our nature is no different than those who first heard this message. Lord, we confess that we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave you, the God that we love. So God, incline our hearts to your testimony. Make our feet quick to run to you. Divert our eyes from the things that would grab our attention away from you. And bring glory to your name. Father, you send out your word according to your purpose. And our confidence is that your word will accomplish your purpose. let that be our testimony today in Jesus name, Amen Dr. Tim Keller is a well-known preacher and author he is the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan he retired last year from his pastoral duties so he could focus more on writing but not only was he the pastor of Redeemer, this church in Manhattan but he was also The founder of it. He and his wife helped plant the church well over 20 years ago. Leaving West Virginia to begin a work in downtown Manhattan. Where people said there is no way, no way that an evangelical Bible believing church could thrive in New York, New York. But we serve the Lord of Lords. And the church has had and is having a powerful witness there. Keller writes that when he first moved, he and his wife moved to Manhattan to begin planting the church. He knew, he and his wife both knew that the demands of planting a church would be great. To get this church off the ground, it would require enormous focus and energy. And so they really made a a contract, a commitment to one another. He said, for three years, let me go at it full force, as hard as I can, focusing upon the ministry. Then after three years... I'll pull back. I'll pull back because I know, I know our marriage is going to suffer some in these three years. So after three years, I'll pull back. The three-year mark came and went. And you can guess what happened. His foot was on the gas. and He wasn't letting up. One day he came home to his apartment, he and his wife's apartment. And after he opened the door, he heard the sound of something breaking. The shattering of of glass was very clear. And then it happened again, and that really got his attention. And he went to the area he, he heard the sound coming from, and he was surprised to find his wife, Kathy, in the floor. And on her left was a stack of saucers, china saucers that they had been given on their wedding day. And in her right hand... Was a hammer. And in front of her were the broken shards of two of those China dishes. And as she looked at him, she picked up a third, set it on the floor, and whack, broke it. What are you doing? That's 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 our, that's good China. That's that was from our wedding. What are you what are you doing? And she looked at him and she said, I'm doing the very same thing to this China you are doing to our marriage. that got his attention he sat down beside her and heard her and at that point began making the adjustments that he had said he would do later he asked her were you prepared to break all of those saucers she said well actually the three that I broke I didn't have a matching cup for so I was hoping you would come to your senses before I got to the fourth what would it take for us to come to our senses spiritually what would it take for God to get our attention what does God need to do to get the attention of his people and when he does when he does are we willing to hear When God works to grab our attention, are we willing to say, Lord, change me? Are we willing to repent and change? You see, I believe, based upon the scripture, that God is around at work around us. He is working to get our attention. And He's doing so because He is gracious. You see, it is because God loves us that God will bring circumstances into our lives to get our attention. He will bring circumstances that get our attention so that we will see we are on the wrong path. So that we will see we are valuing the things that we ought not value. So that we will realize that we are loving sin more than we are loving God. See, Amos shows us in this passage that God is involved in the very intimate and minute details of our lives. Chapter 4 really begins the, the judgment, the proclamation of God's judgment upon sin. And then he begins in verse 6 through 13 giving this litany of things that God has done over a long period of time to get their attention. Now, none of these things should have surprised Israel. In fact, everything that God says He did here in Amos chapter 4, verses 6 through 13, are things God said He would do to His people if they turned from Him in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. There's nothing really shocking here. God simply lived up to his word where he said, "Because I love you, if you wander from me, I will bring famine upon your land. I will cause the crops to fail, not to be punitive, but to bring you back to me to see so you will see the path you are on is destructive." Now God is patient. Our Lord is long suffering. These things did not happen just overnight. You see this long period where God was working through circumstances and events to grab the attention of his people. Look at the litany as Amos speaks them. Verse 6, God sent famine upon his people. Cleanness of teeth is a way of saying there was nothing, no food in your teeth to get out. You didn't have anything to eat. Verse 7 and 8, drought. Drought scattered throughout the northern ten tribes of Israel. Verse 9, he speaks of blot and mildew. In other words, things came upon their crops when they did grow that caused the crops to fail. Verse 9, he speaks of locusts that came and devoured. Verse 10, he speaks of pestilence after the manner of Egypt. In other words, plagues, sicknesses. Verse 10, at the end of it, he speaks of sword, War. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked from the fire. This apparently points to some natural disaster which did not wipe out the people totally but was on par with the fire and brimstone that destroyed Sodom. And God said it wasn't complete. I saved some of you. Now the point Amos is making is that these things did not happen by coincidence. God was at work within them. In fact, God is clear that He was the one doing these things. Verse 6, look at the language. I gave you cleanness of teeth. Verse 7, I withheld the rain. And if there is any doubt, notice in verses 7 and 8, He says, I would send rain on one city and then drought on another. I would cause crops in one area to flourish and I would cause crops in another area to wither and die. I struck you, is what he says in verse 9. Verse 10, I sent the pestilence. I killed your young man. I made the stench grow up. I overthrew. There is no doubt that it is the sovereign hand of God that is at work behind these calamities to get the attention of his people. This is hard for many of us to hear because we tend to think of anything that we consider good, that's God's sovereignty. But the things that we would consider difficult, and make no doubt about it, don't gloss over it. These things are horrible. People suffered, people died. But we tend to look at these things and say, well, that's just coincidence. It was just happenstance that that came to be. You know, life is hard. But the scripture will not allow us to divert God's sovereignty only into one area of life. God is sovereign over all things. There is not one molecule of one atom that is not under the sovereign control of God. And God uses the circumstances around us to get the attention of his people. You've already seen this in chapter 3 verse 6. Look back at that verse at the very end of it. There's no doubt in this list of rhetorical questions... The prophet says, Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The answer is no. Job 38 Job says that it is God who has the storehouses of snow and hail, that God brings the rain and makes away from the thunderbolt. What caused the rain today? Well, there was a low front system coming in that met with moisture that was coming in, and then that brought about the rain as the humidity and all that. Or you could say God did. Every drop of rain ordained by the sovereign hand of God. Matthew 5, God, Jesus said, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. But then you move even beyond these environmental circumstances. Would God use sickness and disease to get the attention of his people? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And he says, Church, when you meet to partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to discern the body of Christ. You need to think about the body of Christ. And because you haven't done that, he says, that is why some of you are sick and some have even died. Now this is the hard providence of God. So pastor... Knowing the circumstance that you and your family are in, does that mean you all are sinners? Well, we are sinners. There's no doubt about that. You say, well, are you saying that God caused that? I would say God, yes. Why did God do it? I can't answer that specifically but I do know this he did it so he would be glorified he did it for the sake of his kingdom and God is going to bring good out of it you see we have to be very careful that we don't jump into a judgmental frame of mind and start looking at people and saying oh look what happened to them I knew they were rotten I'm surprised God didn't get them sooner now, there was a lot of that going that It happens with natural, when disasters happen. People say that Katrina was God's judgment upon New Orleans. Well, now think about that for a moment. If, if what I'm saying is true, and I believe it is, God brought Katrina in, but was it a judgment for sin? Maybe, maybe not. Because I find it very ironic that when you look at the aftermath of Katrina in 2005, the French Quarter... The central part of drunkenness and debauchery in the city was not harmed. But the majority of churches in New Orleans were destroyed. So if it's judgment and we go that route, who was the judgment upon? Hello. We have to be careful. But what we can do is this. We can say, Lord, the exact specific reason why you brought that to be, I don't know. But Father, what are you trying to say to my heart in the midst of this? Lord, what would be my response had I lost everything in that? You see, often we we deflect the movement of the Holy Spirit by looking at others and saying, oh, how bad that is, instead of saying, Lord, what would you have me do in the midst of this adversity? Jesus dealt with this. In Luke chapter 13, up on the screen you'll see it, and I'm sorry if it's kind of small, so I'll read it aloud. There were some present at that time, who come to Jesus and they tell him about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, a group of Galileans had shown up at Jerusalem to worship. Pilate, for some reason, ordered them killed. They show up to worship and they are stricken dead through Pilate. So Jesus answers them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, they weren't worse sinners. They weren't. He says, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, we would all deserve death. We would all deserve the judgment of God. So he's saying, instead of looking at those Galileans thinking how bad they must have been, he says, you look at your heart. Are you seeking God? If it was the day you were called to account in front of God, would you be ready? Then he moves on. What we would consider just a a construction accident. Eighteen on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Was God just getting them because their sin was greater? Jesus says, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. So the question becomes, not trying to figure out why God has brought something into our lives. But to say, Lord, what would would you have me do? What does my response need to be? Now, Israel didn't do well with this. It's clear from the text that God brought these circumstances into their lives so that they would leave sin behind. But that that didn't work well. Notice five times it says that you did not return to me. You did not return to me. Now the fault that they did not return was not to be laid at God's feet. In fact, when you count the number of calamities that are listed in this passage, there are seven of them. Seven representing an idea of completion. It's a way of saying God did everything that he could to get their attention. The fault was not with God. The fault was with a hard heart. See, when calamity comes, we say, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Is there sin I need to turn from? Or is this part of showing me that I need to value you more than anything else? And it is often the hardness of our hearts that keep us from doing that. How do I know if my heart is hard? Well, first, I don't think a person who has a completely hard heart would ever ask that. A person who has a hard heart doesn't want to acknowledge that's even a possibility. They say, this is just the way things are and the way life is. But a hard heart is one that doesn't want to see God's hand in all things. A hard heart says, well, life just happens. That's the way life is. They give no thought to God and His work and His purpose and what He is doing. The hard heart doesn't want to hear God's word. The hard heart turns off any message from God's word. It turns off reading it. That's what Zechariah chapter 7 verse 8 8 through 12 warns about. Where he says, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Now those things in verses 9 and 10 were the very things Amos told Israel they were doing. But Notice verse 11. But they refused to pay attention turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. Lord, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear, Lord, what you expect of me. Lord, give me the blessings. Let me hear that. But I don't want to hear my responsibility as a child of God. Verse 12, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law. And the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. A hard heart turns out the word of God, turns it off. A hard heart doesn't seek to hear from God. Now, keep this in mind, and this is part of the deception. A hard heart will still go through the motions. You see, Israel was still bringing sacrifices, showing up to do the things they were supposed to do. But their hearts were not seeking God. There was no sense of gratitude, no sense of thanksgiving, no sense of praise as they came to God. Ephesians chapter 4 describes a hard heart. It says it's a heart that that causes the person not to be informed by God's word. Callous. Focused on sensuality, living in the moment. God wants to break the hard heart. And he wants to break it because he loves us. This is not God being angry. This is not Zeus hurling thunderbolts randomly from Mount Olympus. This is the God of the universe who has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ that loves us so much. He is saying, I'm willing to do what I need to do to bring you back to me. God wants us to be walking in relationship with him. Psalm 68, 18, you'll see it up on the screen, says this. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened if I would loved iniquity, if I had valued that more than anything else, God's not going to hear my prayers. Now what happens in any relationship when communication breaks down? Is that relationship good and healthy? No, if you're not talking, you've got trouble. God wants us to recognize that He is the supreme value of all the universe and wants us to know Him intimately. So God in His grace, will often bring circumstances that are painful. So we will recognize that we need Him more than anything else. One of the things that doctors look for when it comes to a healthy heart is what level of cholesterol is in there. Because cholesterol, if it builds up the unhealthy stuff in your arteries, it leads to these fatty deposits. Now I started, I looked this up online and I started to get a picture of an artery that was clogged and show it. But then I thought, that's just disgusting. <laughs> well, they don't need to see that. It's nasty looking. You have this artery and many of you, you know firsthand what I'm talking about. That artery, the plaque builds up and builds up until eventually the artery is closed. And what happens when there's so much buildup that is hardened that there's no blood going through it? called a heart attack I find it very interesting that that condition used to be called hardening of the arteries now what would you think of a doctor who said you know I could fix that but if I fix that it's going to hurt you you know we, it's just it, I'm going to have to do surgery you need a bypass and it's going to be painful so I tell you what let's just leave that heart clogged Because we know what we're dealing with there. And that way you won't have to hurt. Would you jump up and say, thank you, doc. I'm so glad you love me enough not to cause me pain to heal my heart. So I can die of a heart attack tomorrow. No. The doctor would look and he would say, we can deal with this. But it's going to require surgery. And it's going to hurt. But it will make you better. Is God not the great physician who says, if I bring pain into your life to heal your heart, it's because you'll be better off in the long run. That God works to show who He is and His glory and to bring circumstances into our lives. Because if if we don't listen, we will be worse off. Notice what he says in verse 12. Therefore, here's the result. You've not turned from me. Thus I will do to you, O Israel. Because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't define the thus or the this. Now, historically, we can look back and see that what God did, what I believe he's referring to here is the Assyrian army coming in that conquered the northern ten tribes and scattered them all throughout so they would never, ever reconvene as a nation again. Now, Judah did, but the northern ten tribes, they were gone. And he is saying, at this point, I'm bringing something in that is the last line. So prepare to meet your God. Prepare. You see, God is patient. But there is a line, a point where he says, you have rejected, you have rejected, you have rejected. Now comes that final point. I don't believe we lose our salvation at that point. But I believe that could be where God literally turns you over to the full consequences of your sins and your choices. And says, now, you'll experience life apart from me. And Notice, as he says about preparing to meet him, verse 13 gives a description of who he is. This, this meeting with God that he talks about here is not a nice little meeting where we pull up and in our chairs in the living room have a nice little heart to heart with God this is the God who formed the mountains this is the God who creates and by implication controls the wind this is the God who is able to tell the man I know what you're thinking I can tell you what's on your heart. This is the God who makes the morning darkness. And there are two uh, translations of that. One speaks of the morning becoming out of the darkness. And the other speaks that God is able to take the sun as it rises and to turn it dark. Either way, it shows God's sovereignty. And he treads on the heights of the earth. In other words, Everest is like a stepping stone to God. This is the God to whom we are. And in this context, this meeting of God is terrifying. You ever had a terrifying encounter that you hope never happens again? Read recently a story, a uh, real life occurrence that happened to Andrew Peraria and his wife Bettina. They live in California and they own a boat and had taken the boat out one day to Catalina Island. And Bettina loves to kayak, so she got in the kayak and began kayaking through the waters there. It sounds very picturesque, doesn't it? Off the coast of Catalina, it's like a Beach Boys song. And she's just there doing her thing when all of a sudden something hits her kayak from underneath. And it hit the kayak with enough force that she was knocked out of the kayak. I mean, it, bam, knocked it in the air and knocked her out. And she landed on the back of the animal that hit the kayak. A great white shark. It was large enough, she says, and her husband witnessed this. She was literally able to stand up on its back. It was estimated it was six feet wide. She stood up. And now at that moment, I'm thinking, take me, Jesus. Just either by rapture or heart attack. Either way, just take me. She had enough presence of mind that she dove over the tail of the shark and began swimming back to the boat. She made it. She was not attacked. She lived to tell the tale. But her husband said, after that encounter, after that encounter, I don't think she'll ever go back kayaking again. Yeah. One encounter enough. We serve the God who made that if we think that would be terrifying, how terrifying it is to fall into the hands of a living God who is a consuming fire. But here's the good news, church. We have hope. First, Jesus Christ has taken the wrath of God. For all who have faith in Him and believe, we don't have to fear the judgment of God. Now, we do need to be aware of the discipline of God. That God will bring things into our lives to correct our course, to correct our values, to correct our thinking. So the question comes, believers, will we be aware of how God is working in our lives to correct us from sin, to change our thinking? And I believe this gets down to the minute detail. I I even go so far with this that on those days when you're running late for an appointment and you're driving along and you hit every traffic light in Johnson City, did that happen by accident? I don't think so. Pastor, you think God is in control of the traffic lights? I hope someone is. So in that moment, do I say, okay, Lord, why am I anxious? Lord, how are you working to sanctify me, to teach me, to change me, even in this? Are we open to that? Because God loves us enough, he won't let us go. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. I want you to keep in mind that through all of this, God's love is steady. God loves His children with an everlasting love. And because He loves us, He is not willing to see us continue down a a path that will lead to our destruction and cause even greater pain. So this morning... I'm going to ask Nathan to come and he and I will be in the front this morning. How are you aware of the Lord working in your life? It may be just in the day-to-day struggles. Don't discount how God is working. Mom and dad with those toddlers and every day seems to be stressful. God's working in that. He's at work in that. Don't despair. He's working. Some of you may be facing very dramatic circumstances. There may be health issues. Now, I can't answer the specific why God brought that specific thing. But I do know he's working for the good of his people and for his glory. So it may not be any large sin. It may be like the blind man brought to Jesus where Jesus said, This man didn't sin, nor did his parents. This illness is for the glory of God. In that case, are you willing to say, Lord, here I am, work within me. Help me to be a witness as I go to chemo treatments. Help me to be a witness as I go to dialysis. Some of your circumstances, you may be at a workplace right now that's unsteady. The business may be about to close or there may be turnover happening. Instead of just saying, that's the way it is, have you said, Lord... Who would you have me to be in the midst of this? What would you have me to do, O Lord? Are you showing me, O Lord, that I've spent too much time in pursuit of things that won't last? Lord, have you placed me in this circumstance that I might be a witness to my co-worker who is so anxious they have no peace whatsoever? The Lord will show you that. He's a good father. Lord, give us ears to hear you. Father, our confidence is that you're working in all things in both the good providences and the difficult providences. You're at work, oh God. Incline our hearts to see that. And Lord, where we need to repent, lead us to repent. Where we need to let go of sins we're holding on to, let us let go of them. And Father, where you are changing our thinking, Lord, I pray that we would not fight you in that process. But that you would find us willing servants with malleable hearts to your glory we pray Amen Will you stand with me as we begin to sing